Don't you ever laugh as the hearse goes by, for you may be the next to die. They wrap you up in a big white sheet from your head down to your feet. They put you in a big black box and cover you up with dirt and rocks. All goes well for about a week, then your coffin begins to leak. The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out. The worms play pinochle on your snout. They eat your eyes, they eat your nose, they eat the jelly between your toes. A big green worm with rolling eyes crawls in your stomach and out your eyes. Your stomach turns a slimy green and pus pours out like whipping cream. You spread it on a slice of bread and that's what you eat when you are dead. Welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast, first Halloween episode. I'm your tour guide, Megan. So glad you could join me. I have prepared for your listening pleasure in today's bonus episode a few morbid poems and a few true crime Halloween stories. Anyone who knows me knows this is my absolute favorite time of year. Not just because it's Halloween and it's fall, but because on November 1st, everything is half off and I get to do some serious shopping for the house. So excited and can't wait. But first, let's get business out of the way. I am preparing to do an episode featuring listener stories. If you've had something happen to you that is most effed up, and you'd like to share, please send it to my email address at wheelocrimepodcast at gmail.com. I'm looking for truly creepy stories, funny, embarrassing stories, or whatever you want to share. Send it to me and I'll read it on the show. Also, if you want to interact with the show via social media, you can find us on Facebook at Wheel of Crime Podcast, on our blog at wheelofcrimepodcast.blogspot.com, or on Instagram at Wheel of Crime Podcast. Wheel of Crime Podcast. I look forward to hearing from you. All right, on with the episode. On Halloween in 2010, 16-year-old Devin Griffin, living in Columbus, Ohio, came home to discover the bodies of his brother Derek, mother Susan, and stepfather William Lisk, and thought for sure it was a Halloween prank. The teenager told police that it looked like a joke from a Halloween party, but after realized it was reality, and he ran out of the house and called his aunt, who called 911. Devin's stepbrother, also named William, was arrested for the murder. Police found him near the family's cabin, 170 miles from Martin. William had a history of mental illness, mental illness, uh, possibly schizophrenia. He had threatened his stepmother in the past, and in 2004, he was charged with assault and robbery, accused of hitting his stepmother with a coffee cup and taking her car keys. A plea of not guilty by reason of insanity was entered, but the state later dropped the charges. Later at his trial, he couldn't explain why he did what he did other than that it had been because of his mental illness. He entered three guilty pleas, and in exchange, the death penalty was taken off the table. The prosecutor, Mark Mulligan, said that there was enough evidence that could have justified the imposition of the death penalty, but because of his age and history of mental illness, his case could be tied up in appeals for years to come. This seems to be the best resolution in the case. Lisk was deemed 
uh, legally sane but mentally ill. It was unclear if he'd been taking prescription medica medication for his schizoaffective disorder the night of the murders, but he was drinking alcohol, and alcohol and mental illness is a recipe for disaster. The state contends that Lisk bludgeoned his stepbrother with a claw hammer before going to his father's room. There he shot his father in the head five times, his stepmother three times. Evidence suggests that Lisk sexually assaulted his stepmother just before she died. At sentencing, he read a statement apologizing for the pain he'd caused and made references to Satan for working destruction in our souls. He took responsibility for what he did and said it wasn't about any of the victims, just his own messed up head. On Halloween night in 1957, Peter Fabino of Los Angeles opened the door around 11.30 to whom he assumed was a trick-or-treater, even though it was far too late for trick-or-treating. A person in a mask stood on the other side with a brown paper bag, and instead of asking for treats, the person played a fatal trick on Peter, lifting the bag and shooting him in the chest. Two weeks later, Joan Rebel, could be rabble, was arrested for what would soon be called the trick-or-treat murder. Police questioned his wife, Betty, who confessed that the couple had recently reconciled their relationship after separating over her affair with Joan, a former employee of one of the two salons that Peter Fabiano, I think it is Fabiano, uh, operated in San Fernando Valley. Joan was released after questioning, but arrested again when detectives traced the gun used in the murder to hospital clerk Goldine Pizer and found the revolver in her pay locker in a downtown department store. Joan groomed Pizer before the murder, telling her how evil Fabiano was and how he sought to destroy those around him. The media paid surprisingly little attention to the fact that Joan and Betty were lovers. Media had at media at the time were reluctant to print the L word, as covered uh, as coverage of the Black Dahlia murder was only ten years prior, and for some reason lesbians were depicted as murderous degenerates. Both Joan and Goldine were convicted in 1958 of second degree murder and sentenced to five years to life. Goldine was released and in 1971 became an officer in the Miracle Mile chapter of, profes of Professional Women's Club. She died in 1993 at age 83. There is little trace of Betty after her sentencing. Once I loved a spider when I was born a fly, a velvet-footed spider with a gown of rainbow dye. She ate my wings and gloated. She bound me with a hair. She drove me to her parlor above her winding stair. To educate young spider, she took me all apart. My ghost came back to haunt her. I saw her eat my heart. On Halloween in 2012, Pastor John D. White arrived at his soon-to-be stepdaughter's trailer at 2 a.m. after drinking nearly a half a 12-pack of beer. He proceeded to hit 24-year-old Rebecca Gay in the head repeatedly with a mallet, then strangle her with a zip tie. After loading up her body, the mallet, and bloody towels in his truck, he took her about a half a mile from her home where he dumped her in a ditch behind some pine trees. White then went to the trailer where he dressed Rebecca's three-year-old son in his Halloween costume and took him to a store where he was picked up by his father. Soon she was reported missing by co-workers and White asked his congregation to pray for her safe return. Police soon picked up the pastor and was taken in for questioning. The next day the pastor confessed to killing her and told them where to find her body. 
He also told police that the murder had been fueled by pornography involving necrophilia. What's really bizarre is that he said he didn't remember if he'd had sex with her body, though he removed her clothes. Now, the whole point of doing this was to have sex with a dead body. What his congregation and his soon-to-be wife did not know was that he was a very violent criminal who had a very violent history, mostly against women. In 1980, when he was 22, he attacked a 17-year-old girl, stabbing and choking her. She survived, but he told her during the attack, You're going to go now. I'm really sorry you had to go like this, but what the fuck, you're just a woman. He was sent to prison, but later appealed and won on the grounds that his attorney did not raise the insanity defense. He was released in 1983 and after two years, or he was released in 1983 after two years and was given two years probation. The victim was never told of his release and she found out after his hearing, or I'm sorry, after he was released, after standing in the line and hearing his voice behind her, she turned around and looked at him and he's smiling at her. Can you imagine your, your rapist standing there smiling at you and you had no idea he was out of jail? In 1984, he had an affair with a 26-year-old woman. Surveillance video from a grocery store, grocery store shows uh, her getting into a black pickup with a bearded man at 3 a.m. and was never seen alive again. White was picked up for questioning but said he dropped her off safely later. They had no body and no evidence to charge him. Now, six weeks later, her body was found dumped in a rural area two miles from the grocery store. Her body was so decomposed that they couldn't find a cause of death and she was naked except for a shirt and bra around her neck. Luminol showed up, uh, showed blood in his trunk, uh, but the evidence was severely limited. I'm sorry, not his trunk, his truck. Because of this, White agreed to plead no contest to involuntary manslaughter and received an 8 to 15 year sentence. He admitted to prison psychologists that he had violent fantasies about wanting to kill and have sex with women's dead bodies. He was released in 2007 after serving 12 years, then moved north to find religion. In March of 2013, he pled guilty to second-degree murder of Rebecca Gay and was sentenced to 56 years in prison. By August of that year, authorities found him hanging in his cell, dead from suicide. T'was the night before Halloween, and all through the lair, not a creature was breathing, nor would they dare. The children were hung on the walls all around except for blood dripping, there wasn't a sound. I in my death cloak and she with her broom had heated the cauldron in the midst of the room. The night air was thick as death loomed everywhere and I laughed to myself at a child's blank stare. When all of the sudden I heard such a scream, I ran from the lair to see what it did mean. When what to my bloodshot eyes did I see but a coven of witches coming towards me. I welcomed them all and invited them in, for the children were ready to be part of this sin. These innocent lambs into the cauldron did go. We mustn't be hasty, but cook them real slow. The vapors of youth began filling the air. We breathed them all in, so our looks remained fair. We paid our respect to those children so dear for strengthening our powers year after year. Witches danced all night long. Then each mounted her broom. The doors swung wide open as they flew out of the room. Waving goodbye, they hackled a loud jeer. Better lock up your children, we'll need more for next year. Now while this murder didn't happen on Halloween, but within a few weeks 
of Halloween is particularly disturbing. In 2015, in Chillicothe, Ohio, the body of Rebecca Cade, 31, was found hanging by her shirt sleeve on a high fence, but neighbors initially uh, uh, dismissed it as Halloween decorations. Several different articles say that fencing contractors mistook her body for a dummy, or that a man walking his dog realized it was real and not a dummy as previously thought. Apparently, Cade was running from her killer when she got caught on the barbed wire fence bordering a power plant. She died there of blunt force trauma to her face and head to the point where she was unrecognizable, and a bloody rock was found nearby, about the size of a grapefruit. Rebecca was no stranger to the law. She had been in trouble for drugs and alcohol, and her son, who was born with fetal alcohol syndrome, was being raised by her cousin. She'd made plenty of mistakes, but her family said she didn't deserve to be killed like that. Several days before her death, she had been hospitalized for a few days for a bad beating she'd received. Police arrested 27-year-old Donnie Cochinauer Jr. and charged him with murder. He told authorities that he and Cade had had a fight a few days before. Unbelievably, he was found not guilty of murder and released. Funnily enough, in 2017, he was arrested for assaulting a man who was trying to defuse a fight between Cochinauer and a female neighbor. Cochinauer punched him in the face. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of some one gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly, I remember it was a bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I, I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the radiant and rare maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, to some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating in entrance at my chamber door, this is it and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madame, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door, darkness there and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token. And the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Nearly this and nothing more. Back into the chamber, turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely, that is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then. What threat? is and this mystery explore let my heart be still a moment and this mystery explore tis the wind and nothing more open here i flung the shutter when with many a flirt and flutter in there stepped a stately raven uh, of the saintly days of yore not the least obscience made he i don't know that word not a minute stopped or stayed he 
but with mine of lord or lady perched above my chamber door perched upon the bust of palace just at my chamber door perched and sat and nothing more then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou i said art sure no craven ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore quoth the raven nevermore much i marvelled at this ungainly fell to hear discourse so plainly though its answer little meaning little relevancy bore for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his door with such a name as nevermore but the raven sitting lonely on the placid placid bust spoke only that one word as if his soul in that one word he did outpour nothing further than he uttered not a feather that he fluttered till i scarcely more than muttered other friends have flown before on the morrow he will leave me as my hopes have flown before then the bird said nevermore startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken doubtless said i what it utters is its own stock in store caught from some unhappy master whom unmercifully disaster followed fast and followed faster until his songs one burden bore till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never nevermore but the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling straight i wheeled a cushioned seat in front of the bird and bust and door then upon the velvet sinking i betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy thinking what this ominous bird of yore what this grim ungainly ghastly gaunt and ominous bird of yore meant by in croaking nevermore this i sat engaging and guessing but no syllable expressing to those foul whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core this and more i sat divining with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloat o'er but those velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press on nevermore then methought the air grew denser perfumed from an unseen censer swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor wretch i cried thy god hath lent thee by these angels he hath sent thee respite respite and ne'er neplenth from thy memories of lenore quaff o oh, quaff this kind nepenthe and forget this lost lenore quoth the raven nevermore prophet said i thing of evil prophet still if bird or devil whether tempter set or whether tempest toss thee here ashore desolate yet all undaunting on this desert i'm sorry on this desert land enchanted on this home by horror haunted tell me truly i implore is there is there balm in galliad tell me tell me i implore quoth the raven nevermore prophet said i thing of evil prophet still if bird or devil by that heaven that bends above us by that god we both adore tell this soul with sorrow laden if within the distant aden 
it shall clasp a sainted maiden, whom the angels name Lenore. Clasp a rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest in the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of thy, uh, of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit this, quit the bust above the door. Take thy break from out my heart. I'm sorry, take thy beak out from my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of palace just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him stream, streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul, from out of the shadow that lies floating on the floor, shall be lifted nevermore. Thanks for joining me for our bonus Halloween episode. Don't forget to check us out on social media. Send me those stories and have a safe Halloween. Don't do anything I would. <laughs> Tune in next episode for Cannibal Killings and remember, don't be a dick. Bye. Happy Halloween. I gotta take the kids trick-or-treating. Come on, man.